Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by my patron gang. Who are the patron gang? Well, it's a group of amazing individuals who contribute financially to the Rural Woman Podcast to ensure the stories of women in agriculture hit your earbuds each and every week. Want to join the gang in helping support women in ag all while getting access to behind the scenes footage and other great perks starting at just $2 a month? Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com slash Patreon to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us on this special Tuesday episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Don't check your calendars. Yes, it is Tuesday, August 25th. I wanted to bring a special episode to you from a very special lady. Julia Wells runs the Humble Hive Homestead, a small diverse farm in central Oklahoma with her husband, Caleb, and their two boys. Julia is a Jersey girl turned Oki who got bit by the farming bug when she moved to Oklahoma and got a few backyard chickens for fresh eggs. Caleb's background in FFA poultry and animal egg helped foster Julia's interest and teach just about everything there is to know about chickens. They had an opportunity to partner up with another like-minded family and began raising broiler chickens and holiday turkeys with them. They recently added 16 heritage pigs to the operation and a small herd of Dexter cows. The past two years, their farm has grown by leaps and bounds. Julia loves the opportunity to raise and homeschool her children on the farm and teach the important responsibility of being good stewards of the land, environment, and the animals. I'm very excited for you guys to meet Julia today. She is one of my dearest friends over on the Instagram and her story of coming from Jersey, moving to Oklahoma is one that we share today, as well as how she and her husband made the decision to start homeschooling their boys many years ago and what that looks like now for them. I know there are a lot of parents right now who have either made the decision or are still making the decision of sending their kids back to school in a regular setting or what is 2020 COVID regular setting or keeping them home to do online learning or homeschooling themselves. So lots of decisions for parents. I know it's a very stressful time and I wanted Julia to share her knowledge and her experience in homeschooling and she provides some great tips, knowledge and wisdom for you guys. And I am, again, very excited for you to hear this. (laughs) So Happy Tuesday, everybody. We will be back on Friday with another episode, two episodes in one week. I know, it's crazy. I love it. (laughs) Without further ado, my friends, let's get to Julia's interview. Good morning, Julia. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Caitlin? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman podcast today. Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm very excited to chat with you. For my listeners who are unfamiliar with you, give us a brief description of who you are and where you're from. I'm Julia Wells. I um, have a small family farm in central Oklahoma, but I'm originally from New Jersey. And we raise uh, pastured poultry 
pork, and grass-fed beef. How on earth did you end up in Oklahoma (laughs) from New Jersey? (laughs) Funny story. I met my husband when he was stationed with the military on the East Coast, and we fell in love and got married, and we moved around a little bit on the East Coast. We lived in D.C., Maryland area, and North Carolina for a little bit. And then when he got out of the service, he was originally from Oklahoma. So we decided to bring our family there and start living in Oklahoma. (laughs) How was that transition for you? The transition was a little tough at first, um, just because it's so different from where I grew up. But I ended up finding my people and we ended up finding what we feel like our calling is to do. And that made the transition a lot easier once we got those types of things in place. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. And it always helps when you find your people. It makes it a little bit easier. Yes. Yeah, for sure. It does. So tell us about your homestead, the Humble Hive Homestead. And you mentioned a little bit about what you produce, but tell us all about it. So we are a small farm. We're only 18 acres, but we do pastured poultry and we do chickens in the spring, turkeys around the holidays. We also do pork and we do farm with another family. And so we do pork at their place. We raise heritage breed pigs. We raise Duroc, Herefords and Berkshires. And then my husband and I have a small herd of Dexter cows. Very cool and very diverse. Yes. So first of all, Did your husband grow up in agriculture or was this new for both of you? My husband was super involved with FFA growing up and he was an Oklahoma State poultryman and showed chickens and pigs when he was in high school and he was super involved and he went on to work in ag before he went into military service. So he worked in a mechanic for an underground construction company. And part of the deal was us moving to Oklahoma was he said I could get backyard chickens because apparently the town we were moving to was a bird sanctuary. And so you could have backyard chickens, which it was not the case, but we still had backyard chickens. And that's kind of what got me started on our path to looking for a home with acreage and raising our own food. For sure. I always say, they always say that chickens are a gateway. (laughs) Once you get chickens, it's all... (laughs) They're the gateway animal. Exactly. It's all downhill from there. Right? (laughs) I don't know if it's downhill or uphill. Either way. (laughs) Depends who you're talking to. There's a hill involved. (laughs) It's better to be on top of the hill than under the hill. Let's just say that. (laughs) Yes. So why was it important for you to start raising your own meat? So before I met my husband, I had been a vegetarian for the majority of my life from age six to about 23 when I met my husband and ethically sourced meat and knowing where my meat was coming from and my food in general was coming from was really important to me. And when we first moved to Oklahoma, a lot of it, what we ate was meat. My husband had a lot of deer, um, There wasn't much in the way of locally sourceable chicken and stuff like that. And we did buy beef in bulk from local ranchers when we could, which was great. But we kind of, we wanted to do more ourselves. And so 
when we were expecting our second child, we were outgrowing our little tiny house in town and we found the right property. And we spent the first couple of years that we were here just cleaning up the land. There was a lot of trash, which is not something I experienced living on the East Coast, but it's a big thing here that people just leave their trash. So the beginning part of us moving here was just like cleaning all the land. And, you know, we were able to connect with another family that lived nearby with us that was doing what we wanted to do. And they had the equipment to do it. Last year was our first round of pastured chickens we did with our farming partners, Pam and Ed. Okay. We need to go back, Julia. We need to unpack this whole vegetarian thing for just a minute here. (laughs) That's a long time to be a vegetarian. (laughs) It is. And part of it was I was a picky eater. And part of it was I had an elementary school teacher that told me a bunch of, which I now know to be incorrect information about the meat industry that more or less traumatized me for a long time from eating meat and eggs. That was like one of the first things my husband convinced me about like the wonders of eggs, like hollandaise sauce in a medium poached egg. Like I could eat that for the rest of my life and be happy, like throw some bacon in and I'd be perfect. Exactly. That's life changing. (laughs) Yeah. So like, I was like, oh my gosh, the yolk is the best part of the egg. And like for years I'd throw away the egg yolk because I thought I was eating a baby chicken, which is not correct. Now that I'm a chicken farmer, I'm like, oh, that's nuts. Who told me this this business? Right? Yeah. That's crazy. Well, and like to be so young and impressionable at that age. And yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being a vegetarian. No. It's just if you were put under those pretenses because of false information, well, then maybe there's a little bit of a problem. Yeah. I mean, my dad's the biggest carnivore I know, and he was so upset about it. And I actually ended up leaving the school, and that was one of the reasons why. And, but I totally agree with you that there's a lot of misinformation around agriculture and it really affects people's decision-making. And for me, it was negatively. Absolutely. Well, and that's why it's so important for the people in agriculture to be sharing their stories and what they do on their operations. So people outside of agriculture have the right information to make those decisions for themselves. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So back to farming. I'm sorry we had to take that side note. It's okay. But, you know, that's a long time. <laughs> yeah, it is. So what have been some of the biggest challenges that you face starting your new adventure in farming and homesteading? A lot of it was just getting set up. And we, you know, that's part of the reason why we lived at our place probably for three or four years before we really started to get going. And a lot of it was, for us was like time and resources. And, you know, for us, it was great to have Pam and Ed to kind of foster us and like mentor us. And that was super helpful, but it definitely was a hurdle getting, you know, set up, putting up our perimeter fence. A lot of it was just like time and money and saving and having the time to do the work because my husband also works off farm. So that was a big hurdle for us and just getting everything to a place where we could even farm it you know, for there was junk everywhere that we had to get rid of. And that, again, takes time and money to get it removed and get everything properly disposed of. Yes, absolutely. Share with us some of the big wins that you've had since you've been on your property. We got our outside fencing 
done, like our perimeter fencing, which was a huge win. And we were able to bring the cows here because they were at a lease for a little bit. And that was huge and super exciting. And our pork has done really well. And that was exciting and super helpful for us. You know, we found some really great customers and gotten to bond with them and like share our experience and talk about cooking and food and, you know, and that's been really enjoyable for both Caleb and I. That's great. And I just love that food brings everyone together. That's just one thing that bonds us all. And especially with you guys growing holiday turkeys, you get to be a part of these special meals and events that others have. Yes. You know, the other aspect of why Caleb and I did this is because we love food. We love to cook. We like eating really good food. And we wanted to be able to share our experience because, you know, it would be easy for us to just do this stuff for our family and our like close family, like my in-laws and stuff. But we really want to share our experience of eating our food the way we raise it. And that was something that was super important for us. For sure. That is great. So typically, this is my last question of my interviews, but this is going to be my last question of our farming portion of this interview, Julia, because we're going to dive headfirst into homeschooling after this. But what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? Probably what I talked about a few seconds earlier, sharing our food and our product with the community. That's just been awesome. Like, I love it when I get texts from customers of like, their beautiful chicken dinner they just cooked or their kids eating our watermelon because we do have a small market garden but that's not the biggest part of our operation but just everybody telling us how great their turkey was and how they always want to get their turkeys from us now and you know pictures of bacon and eggs on people's plate that really brings us like so much joy I think bacon brings most people joy (laughs) yes There should be more bacon on pigs, but there isn't, unfortunately. Yes, exactly. (laughs) You have heard me tell you all about the amazing benefits that come with being a patron of the Roll Woman podcast through Patreon, but I wanted to share with you a few testimonials from the patron gang themselves. Patron Tiffany writes, Being able to support Caitlin telling the stories of amazing women in egg is a great way to support all of us. Without her telling our stories, would we be willing to talk about them ourselves? I love hearing a new podcast on Fridays, plus getting to hear some outtakes and a chance to win some great gear as a patron is definitely a perk. Egg supports egg, and this is just one way I help support agriculture. Join Tiffany in supporting the stories of women in agriculture through the Rural Woman podcast starting at $2 a month on Patreon. Visit wildrosefarmer.com slash Patreon to learn more. All right, so let's dive in to the homeschooling side of Julia Wells. Yeah. Tell us how this whole homeschooling venture got started for you? So we live rurally, as most people who farm do. And part of it was I didn't think my oldest son was quite mature enough to go to school. And the other part was I wasn't really impressed with the Oklahoma education system. And so we figured, well, 
do the homeschooling thing for a couple of years and see how it works out. And, you know, there's usually one parent who's kind of on the fence about it. And my husband had a bunch of people in his life who were like, oh, yeah, my kids are homeschooled. And, you know, you have that perception of like homeschoolers are weirdos that live in their parents' basement. And I think my husband a little bit had that preconceived notion. But when he found all these people who had kids that were like doctors and lawyers and architects and like, you know, had great jobs and went to college and had careers and weren't living in their parents' basement, he was like, oh. And he saw that, the side that really interests him, and I definitely relate to it as well, is that you know, our kids can work at their own pace. They can go ahead and they don't have to, you know, spend all their time in school. When they get older, they can do concurrent enrollment and get college courses or find a trade or work on their own schedule while they go to school. And that was very appealing for both of us. For sure. And I have to say that I side a little bit with Caleb's preconceived notion of homeschooling, even here in Canada. I don't It just wasn't something that I think my parents ever considered. So having that consideration in 2020, well, before 2020, let's say, is something that I think a lot of people had. Yeah, it definitely is. And now that it's kind of our forced norm to some extent, I think people are either going to open quite a bit as far as like the opportunities that it presents. Yes, absolutely. So is this something that you plan on doing with your boys until they graduate? So kind of our deal is around eighth grade, if they decide to go to public school, that's fine. But we're not going back and forth between homeschooling and public school, at least in Oklahoma. They might lose ground. They might decide when they're 16 and go to public school. The public school might not count the first two years of high school. And we just don't want to deal with that aspect of it. And we think that consistency, especially at that age, is important. And if they want to go to public school, that's great. If they want to homeschool throughout high school, that is also great. So we kind of leave it up to them when they get older. But up until eighth grade, they will probably be homeschooled. Absolutely. And quick question, side note, were you homeschooled as a child or did you go to a different school after your vegetarian teacher or (laughs) told you the wrong information? (laughs) I went to a combination of public and private school, like kindergarten, first grade, I was in public school. And then from about middle of first grade to sixth grade, I was in mostly a private all girls Catholic school. And then from middle school on, I was in a public high school and middle school. So homeschooling wasn't an option for me growing up. I begged my parents to do it, but both of my parents were working full time and had high pressure jobs and that was not feasible at the time. But we don't have the resources that we have right now. Absolutely. So if you don't mind sharing with us, can you give us a brief overview of what your typical school year will look like then? So our typical school year is we do pretty hardcore school, like four to five days a week from September to about May. And then we do a lighter load, I would say, from June to August when school kind of starts getting started down here in Oklahoma. But I always like them reading throughout the year and practicing math and handwriting. So that always stays in that lighter summer work. I like to do some catch-up work in the summer. 
basically then your boys are continuously learning then throughout the year versus the typical September to May or June and then do nothing. Well, I shouldn't say do nothing. I'm sure there are many, many parents who are still (laughs) encouraging their students to read. But as a child, I did nothing for my two summer months. (laughs) Part of what I think is beautiful about homeschooling is that we kind of view like everything is learning. Like it's not limited to the two or three hours a day that we actually sit down and do our math, do our reading, do our history and science and language arts and all that stuff. But like there's opportunities to learn those things in life, like take our fence building project or like measuring the perimeter of the property, how many posts we're going to use, not stuff that my husband went over with our oldest and talked about with him about that. So there's like lots of like hands-on learning that we do with the kids like all the time. Like we see life as a learning opportunity. Yes, absolutely. And even the fence example, these are skills that the boys can use when they're older and they're going to know how to build a fence from the age of eight years old or whatever, right? So these are these are good skills to have. So that's great. And you know, my oldest can tell you probably just about everything there is to know about a chicken. That's amazing. And he's getting pretty good about pigs. Right? Yeah. That's so cool. He just learned so much. Well, and I think just kids on a farm, regardless of where they go to school, they're learning and have these opportunities that, let's say, a city kid wouldn't have, whereas city kids have different opportunities than than country kids. So it's, like you said, it's lifelong learning for everyone. <laughs> yes. So, Julia, with COVID-19, I know there were a lot of parents thrown into the homeschooling teacher role quite suddenly in the spring and with school starting back up. There are many more parents considering homeschooling or online learning. What is some advice that you would have for them? Keep it simple. I guess I could describe our school day a little bit. And for the most part, we do our morning chores, letting the chickens out and stuff like that. And then we do like a morning meeting where we read some books, some of our read alouds and poetry and whatever unit study we're working on. And then we sit down and do work. And usually we're done everything by lunchtime. And then after that, the kids kind of have their run of what they want to do, which is usually read books, play outside, explore, and play Legos, listen to audiobooks. And so, you know, you don't need to fill up eight hours of a day with your kids sitting in front of either the computer or their schoolwork. And that's the biggest thing I can say is just keep it simple. Give yourself lots of grace. It's okay to take days off. Part of what we do is we do four heavy days of schoolwork and our Fridays are pretty light so we can have time to run errands or the kids usually go see their grandparents on Friday and I get a break. So that's my biggest thing is keep it simple. There's lots of opportunities to learn um, not just in book work. Absolutely. And I like what you said about giving grace. And I think grace needs to be given to all of the parents out there that were thrown in to homeschooling. And uh, absolutely. And grace for you too, because there's a lot of things going on in the world that are big and scary and lots of change and all that stuff. So there is. And I know a lot of parents are worrying about like 
the socialization of their children. And, you know, that's a big like homeschool myth that I like to crack and your kids are getting socialized. They don't need to be with their direct age peers, but kids who are homeschooled are able to interact with little tiny babies and the elderly. And like, they got a lot more exposure, especially if you're, well, people aren't doing this much right now, but running around doing errands or doing activities outside of the house, they get socialization and it doesn't need to be with their direct peers. Absolutely. And that brings up a question for me. We've talked about a couple myths about homeschooling that either your child is going to grow up and live in your basement or they don't get socialized. Is there any other myths that you would like to bust when it comes to homeschooling? It's not public school at home. You don't need to recreate your child's former school setting at home for you to be successful homeschooling. That's another big one. That's probably my big three is socialization. They're not going to live in your basement and that you have to make it exactly like public school at home. And there's a lot of studies that break down online how much time is actually spent on learning versus like a lot of what kids end up doing is waiting for other kids to behave. And if you're in a smaller setting at home, you're not going to have that come up as much. So you're able to get work done more quickly. And that's my big thing is like, don't make your kids sit in front of a book for eight hours because it's going to be miserable for everybody if you do that. Absolutely. Well, and I'm just thinking back to my time in school of how much time we actually spent learning, like you said, because you get there, you have to get settled. And then once you get your book open, well, then it's time for recess. And you do that all again through lunch and then your afternoon recess. And then it's three o'clock and you go home. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a study and it said it throughout the year, they averaged it. It's about two and a half hours every day is spent actually like with academics. Yes. Well, and with so many kids in a classroom, and obviously it depends where you are in the world and in the country, province, statewide, there's so many differing factors for everyone. And I give credit to public school teachers or private school teachers or anybody who wants to be a teacher in their life because you are, in my eyes, a rock star because I don't think that's a career that I could ever do. So bravo to teachers at home and in a public school setting. Yeah. And those public school teachers right now are, you know, learning on the fly. And I have a lot of friends that are public school teachers and private school teachers, and they are just like handling this with such grace and such flexibility. And they are, I hate to use the buzzword, they're pivoting like champs and, you know, they're trying to make this as normal and as successful school year for the kids as possible. Absolutely. I think it takes a certain heart to have a teacher and the heart of a teacher is really shining through, I think, for the last eight months or however long this has been of, like you said, pivoting and just making this as comfortable and as normal as possible for our kids. And yeah, it's great. Absolutely. So Julia, you actually offer homeschooling consultations. Tell us more about them and what people can expect throughout their consultation. So I offer homeschool cults and pretty much we talk through what you need as a mom, what your kids need and how to make that happen. And whether that's helping you figure out how to set up a pod in your neighborhood or in your community, which is where each family hosts uh, a day a week and the kids rotate and you guys are self-quarantining together or if you want to start a co-op 
which is where parents volunteer and teach larger groups of kids and rotate usually outside the home in like a community space, like a church or a community center. Or if you need help figuring out curriculum or navigating special education needs uh, for your homeschooled child, all sorts of things, and also making it successful for you and helping you balance life, work, your sanity, um, because that's really important. And, you know, one of the biggest lessons I learned as a homeschool mom is like scheduling time for me. It's not often, but like every once in a while, like I'll schedule probably quarterly, I'll schedule a pretty big self-care thing, like something fun, like getting my nails done or a massage, which isn't necessarily possible right now for some people. But, you know, even if it's a lot of times people do quiet time, even if they have big kids where, you know, they've got their audio, but they're reading, they're watching television or playing video games for like a half hour, hour or so that you as the at-home parent can like woosa, you can get some downtime and not something that I'd love to help parents with during this time. Absolutely. So if somebody was interested in having a consult with you, how do they connect with you? You can email us on the farm website, thehumblehivehomestead.com. There's a contact sheet there. You can find me on Instagram, the Humble Hive Homestead, and just shoot me a message or an email and I'll get to you and help you get things figured out. Awesome. And I will put all of those links in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you and learn all about your farm. And if they're interested in learning more about homeschooling their kiddos, then they can definitely contact you as well. Absolutely. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Julia. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you sharing your story with the listeners. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.